0: Before we get to this week's episode, there's a new series in town that everyone's talking about. We Own This City. We Own This City is a high intensity cop drama centered around the Baltimore Police Department's gun trace task force. Now they're responsible for keeping crime and drugs off the street, but of course there's internal corruption and plenty of plot twists also at play. Starring John Bernthal and from the writers of The Wire, it is not one to be missed. That's We Own This City, all episodes available to stream On now.
1: Plot twists. We're obsessed with them.
0: In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere.
1: It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction.
0: I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover.
1: And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms.
0: And we're from now.
1: Uh, 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 uh,
0: uh. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen.
1: So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contains
0: spoilers. Obviously. So we're back. After a few weeks' break, we're back, and we've been recharging, mainly making room for a certain co-host to get married probably thinking well tom's met somebody got married obviously not (laughs) no congratulations to fran who will be back in a few weeks with probably a honeymoon turn i imagine that'll be great to catch up and a lot has happened a lot has happened over the last few weeks you know a lot of great series have arrived on now the staircase with colin firth and tony collette and the flight attendant series one and two is ready to stream cassie is back she's in la she's recharging and she might be working for the CIA. So, you know what? If you like Katie Cuoco, dark comedy, or just drama, I'd highly recommend it. Anyway, to this week's guest, Indira Varma. What a brilliant actress. I was so excited to talk to her. She's been in so many big series. I mean, probably best known for Game of Thrones. Ilaria Sand, that epic entrance with Oberyn Martell, played by Pedro Pascal. But if you think of a lot of the big series over the last few years, she's been involved in many of them. Think of Rome, that was a big series, HBO. Luther's First Wife, and I actually really liked her for the series Four Life. She was the, the prison warden, she's fantastic in that. And she is also celebrated for her work in the theatre. In fact, she was the first person of Indian descent to win an Olivier Award, which is pretty epic. And talking of epic, does it get more epic than Star Wars? Fans of the franchise will be super excited that she is going to be part of the new TV miniseries, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So we've got to talk about that. We need to talk about Thrones and, of course, plot twists. So let's get to it. Indira Varma on the Plot Twist podcast. Do you know what? I like to sometimes in this podcast include a question around a favourite gift. Because so it's a personal touch, something a bit sentimental. But then I've seen you with a candle lightsaber and I, I think you've already got it. How can you top that?
1: I was going to say that that would have to be my favourite gift, especially for this <laughs> last week. It was amazing. How can you top that? And also, when we were on set of Obi-Wan, there was a moment that the prop guys are amazing and, like, the lead prop guy, like, his whole family, his dad did the original Star Wars. I mean, it's not like... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like... It goes... It's generational. So it was really exciting to be around those kinds of people because they, they've got stories coming out of their ears. It's amazing. One day he was just sort of putting away his, light, his, his lightsabers, as you do, and there are all kinds of, you know, there's the extra long ones, there's the ones which light up, there's the short ones for doing fights and all the rest of it and the action stuff, and there are also just hilts. And I, I saw the hilts and I was like, oh, they'd make great candlesticks. And he went, yeah that would make a great wrap gift. And then last week, that's what I got in the post with a whole bunch of blue candles. And I just, it made me very happy.
0: And something yeah. you inspired. Absolutely. I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it. I like doing a bit of research on our guests because you learn you learn new things. Mm. I mean, I know you're a fan of Modern Family, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, love that. Oh, that's I great. love
1: Modern Family. Although, you know, I've moved on.
0: Well, uh, well I, because, I'm still you know, struggling.
1: Are you? Are you? Are you yeah, rewatching? Yeah, I'm
0: still missing. I'm, oh, I'll do like the U.S. Office, and I'll go back to oh. the start because like, I've got to, got to relive this again. You know,
1: I feel I'm very fickle, and I'm not. I mean, I love Modern <laughs> Family. There's nothing better. But I and I got to meet them, the actors, one day when we were doing the entire cast. Yeah, was it ABC? It's ABC, isn't it? And um, I was doing a thing for ABC. Yeah. For life, and we happened to be at this same kind of launch thing that they were at, and I got to like take selfies with them all, and I was so embarrassed that I was sort of fangirling, but it was very cool. I even met the dog, you know, (laughs) Stella. Yeah, (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was really exciting.
0: I loved that the dog was even there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: it was pretty special. Now I'm on to Dairy Girls.
0: Yeah, it's been very popular.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Even the scene with Liam Neeson, what a classic. I love that. What a classic.
1: I love that. It's classy, I think. Yeah. We're very lucky. Yeah. I love that. Yeah.
0: I was speaking to our producer before, and we were saying that the way that television has changed now, the, the big series like Obi Wan now is that is the sort of the big gig now, isn't it? That seems to be the top thing. Whereas perhaps 15, 20 years ago, it would have been in a film format, it would have been completely different.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? I remember, like, decades ago when I I did um, Rome for HBO. Yeah. And that was kind of the the sort of early, big, monumental sort of, not that we only did two seasons, well, I only did one, but that was the sort of precursor to Game of Thrones and all that kind of thing. And at the time, I remember talking to an, a friend of mine who's an actor who lives in America, and, and he was saying, yeah, I'd never do TV. You know, in that very sort of offhand way. Yeah, I just do movies, and I thought, oh, you lucky thing. Yeah, because that's all we ever <laughs> wanted to do. Yeah, was film. That's where the real movie stars were, and then suddenly it's it's basically long form film, isn't it? Yeah, and you get all these incredible, not just actors but filmmakers, and they make it look like film as well. It's not just like great people doing. It's incredible. Yeah.
0: And then fans love it because you get more character development and it's just a win win.
1: Yeah, exactly. But what I mean, one thing that I think is brilliant about Obi and the whole Star Wars thing is that the fans, even though it feels hugely epic and kind of untouchable, it's slightly out of everybody's grasp. It's so big and (laughs) massive and extraordinary and exciting. And yet, the props guy was telling me, fans make a lot of the droids. They can pitch, maybe not pitch ideas, but, you know, they can say, look, I've made this. Do you want to use it? I love that. Things get it's almost used. It's like a community feel about totally. it. Totally. And a lot of the essays come, you know, the stormtroopers bring their own costume and they are massive fans. And they, they have Star Wars regiments of fans, stormtrooper regiments, and they come as background So
0: that they are in it. Fans are that involved. I think it's brilliant. Especially for such a, like you say, such an enormous series. Yeah. We will come back onto that. And I do want to talk to you about a few other large series that you've been on in the past. I mentioned about Best Gift at the beginning and the sort of random questions I like to ask. I've got a couple Mm. I'd like to throw at you and just see what you think. Yeah. I thought the first one, maybe, yeah, maybe a sentimental one. But whose opinion is most important to you?
1: (sighs) Whose opinion? (laughs) That's really hard, isn't it? I'd say, you know, it's it's always going to be the opinion. It used to be my dad's, but you know, but, but then at the same time, it's awful to say, but how much is that opinion really worth? Ultimately, <laughs> I, I say that with love because I, I tell you why. Because you know, you know, it's ultimately I was never good enough, so I wanted him to to like what I was doing. But then I remember he came to see me in The Three Sisters that we did the play, and uh, I was playing Natasha, who is not one of The Three Sisters, if you don't know the play. She is the sort of outsider who marries it, the brother who none of them like, and she's a bit of a bitch. And uh, my dad came to see the play, and he's Indian. He was Indian. He, well, he's still Indian. He's not alive <laughs> anymore, but he's... Uh... <laughs> You, you get what I mean. And um, I said, what did you think, Dad? What do you think? How how did I do? Yeah, not bad, not bad. But uh, you should be polite to your sisters. And I thought, he's missed the entire point. <laughs> so, you know, there's me desperately wanting him to approve of what I'm doing. But, of course, he's missed the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that, though. That's not, That's... <laughs> <laughs> What about, you've you've uh, you mentioned there about the theatre and you've done so much in the theatre. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the first person of Indian descent to win Olivier. I mean, that's, Apparently. that's pretty, I know. pretty cool.
1: It's quite amazing, isn't it? It's kind of shocking that that's the case.
0: What for you is the sort of biggest thrill? Where did you get the most exhilaration?
1: I would say theatre at the moment. But then, you know, I've just... You know, stepping onto an OB set. My God, that yeah. was thrill. Stormtroopers Epic. in the desert. Are you crazy? But there is something frightening about theatre. I mean, you know, the fact that you can be edited on screen, there's any mistakes. And there's so- I'm learning to love the mistakes. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that's one of my... This is one of my current challenges, is I want to embrace the things that go wrong and I think one of the things on stage and in acting anyway is there's the alive moments that are the most interesting and mm. in order to be alive and not being in complete control you have to be fearless and unafraid to mess up but of course no, I think really yeah but then of course at the same time you want it to be right but the, the, the more you try and make it right, the more you're in control and the less interesting it becomes. And, mm. and of course, there's much more scope for that on stage where things can go drastically wrong and this, the play can actually stop. So I kind of I feel the thrill of live.
0: Have you had any hairy moments like that? Where I mean,
1: just drying is hell, pure hell where you just go, oh, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what to say. <laughs> what are we doing here, standing here in front of all these people? That's really scary. And how do we get back? Mm. How do we get back online? Is that improv? Yeah, but if you don't remember who you are and what you're talking about, how can you improv out of that?
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. you try, you try, and you
0: do. Is there a specific moment that comes to mind in, in that instant?
1: Well, I do remember doing Man and Superman, at the National with Ray Fiennes and it's super long. It's like three and a half hours. It was three and a half hours, Bernard Shaw play. And I mean, he had vast tracts of text and argument and debate. And I was often there just listening and occasionally saying a word or two. And in the second half, we, the two of us opened the second half of the play and It's set in a totally different time where I'm an old lady. Having played this young woman throughout the whole of the first half, suddenly I'm this old lady and there's this weird transformational moment where I I turn from old lady back into this girl. And we start this second half and it's quite surreal. Old lady meets this guy again, but he's asking all the questions and for some reason something slightly distracted him, like something weird weird happened in the front row Mm. and... He got distracted and nobody would have known apart from us. And it was awful because I couldn't help him out. And he was kind of going back on what he was doing. I tried to answer something, tried to feed a question, but I couldn't help either. It was horrible. And then we got back onto it. It was yeah, back
0: into rhythm. Yeah, back into
1: the rhythm of it.
0: Yeah. I think for me, it'd be the hour before, before getting on stage. That would just be my stomach would be churning. Well, that happens every single time. You always lose a little bit of weight while you're doing the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me ask you um, a first plot twist question. Do you want to come on to um, Obi-Wan and and Game of Thrones? But um, the main plot twist question we ask is around that sort of standout moment in someone's life or career, the unexpected moment where perhaps their own narrative might change. Is there a plot twist? Has there been something so far that comes to mind? (sighs)
1: I feel like my life has been a series of, watch this. This is going to be a massive plot twist in your life. (laughs) And then it doesn't happen. You know, like my, so a a plot twist for me was um, thinking that I was going to be a mime artist and go to like physical theatre school and all that kind of, you know. And then being told at drama school, no, you're not going to do that. So, oh right, okay. So now I'm going down this other route of theatre and television, which is not at all what I had in mind. Well, why were you told that? What was the? I don't thinking? know. Because they just felt like, well, you can't make that much money out of. Who would want to do be a mime artist? Yeah, but then I suppose again, like my first job was this film, Cool Calm Sutra.
0: I was going to ask you about. this. <laughs>
1: and that i guess that was a plot twist in a way because you know doing film like at drama school you we we focused on theatre there was it, there was no screen work whereas now they do loads of screen work and it's great doing that um and afterwards being told this is going to change your career
0: and it didn't it was that quite controversial kind of... at the time wasn't
1: it i suppose it was controversial it was controversial while we were filming because there was nudity you, you in it and there the was title, sex in it. No, it was called something completely different. It was Maya and Tara or something like that. And then, of course, I mean, you're probably going to get more viewers calling it Kama Sutra Tale of Love. But probably. Kama Sutra is not just about sex, ultimately. It's a it's like a love manual, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Um, but then another funny little... these are. I feel like they're not twists. As I say, they are more meanders.
0: We can work with meanders. Yeah, we can work with meanders.
1: And then there was another one, which was, uh, I did this pretty bad TV series called Human Target uh, for Fox in America. And um, we'd finished it. We'd been cancelled. But there were lovely people and everything. And then one day I got an email from Mark Valley, who was the lead in it, one line email. Why aren't you in Game of Thrones? And I was like, Yeah, why aren't I in Game of Thrones? Because at the time, I was sort of, it was in that sort of time when we weren't making shows like Bridgerton, where it's multi-ethnic casting and all the rest of it. But we Britain makes tons of period drama. And I felt like, well, where's the work for me? Apart from just going back to theatre, which is why I keep coming back to theatre. It's like there's more opportunity there. And I thought... Game of Thrones is sort of the equivalent of a period drama. So, yeah, I, I want to be in it. And so I asked a mate of mine, happened to be one of the first ADs on it. And I said, I just had this email from Mark Valley. And he said, Why aren't you in Game of Thrones? And he said, oh, I'll find out for you. So, because I've done <laughs> Rome H- with HBO, there was a couple of the same producers involved. Yeah. And so he went and said, Oh, Indy says hi. And, uh, and they went, oh, and he said, do you think there's anything in there for her? Uh, yeah,
0: there could be. Wow, as simple and as that. And then it
1: sort of happened like that. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. One email. Yeah. That's quite, that's a sliding to a moment right there. Yeah. Do you, do you believe in fate? Do you think that if that email hadn't come through, that you still would have found a way onto it? Or, I mean, it's just quite extraordinary that one email could then have such a... It's an idea, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah,
1: I suppose it's somebody saying, planting a seed isn't it? Mm. It could be anything. And then that's an idea of for something. And suddenly that sort
0: of spring, an opportunity springs from it. I want to go back to your comment about multi-ethnic cast. But before that, why why mime when you were at RADA? Why was that the... It was pre-RADA, really. I loved that I saw Marcel
1: Marceau when I was a kid and Nola Ray. And I just thought that to be able to communicate to not just one audience of english speakers but to globally internationally to me that was there was something magic about that and also to transform you know like one moment i mean it sounds so ridiculous on an audio thing but you know like one minute this person is flying a kite and the next he's actually flying himself you know that it felt like a dream come true. It feels like... magic. Yeah, it's like magic. And I love that whole thing with movement and expressing what it means to be a human being through your body. Because I think a lot of the time, in the old days, you know, like the RSC, was, it was all about head up from the neck up acting and stuff like that. And And this sort of respect for Shakespeare and the language, it's a very sort of British, English kind of... It's something that we revere very much. And I found it quite intimidating. And so the idea of being able to communicate, having also two parents who were immigrants, whose first language was not English, meant that I wanted to communicate with everybody.
0: There was that sort of notion in there. So, yeah, that's what it was really about. I think when I was looking at your Instagram, I ended up getting on a bit of a a so, so, social media hole, basically, oh, just getting lost. Oh, it's, it's awful. awful and, it just, and then it? half an hour later, you're like, where was I? What's going on? But there was... Three um... weeks have
1: gone by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you feel more depressed.
0: Was, I did come across something that was really quite amusing. It was a mime artist. I don't know where, where it was set, where it was based. And it was an interaction with people that were walking past. And, and it was a couple with their young daughter. And the mother's got the baby on one arm and she's got a rucksack on the other. And the mime artist goes across... And he sort of signals to them as in, are you to an item? And they go, oh, yes, yes, yes. And then he goes over to the the mother, gets the rucksack off her and puts it on the man and says, No, you should be carrying that. <laughs> <laughs> they carry on. Oh. I think did want to mention multi-ethnic cast. Do you think that's you, you mentioned Bridget almost as in that's a sign that things are improving in terms of diversity on screen? Is that something that you, you feel?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely moving forward i'm seeing kids well people who were my age when i'd left drama school getting opportunities that i would never have been offered when i i was that age leads in things stories that are about mm. and not just because of your ethnicity it's just like oh that kid happens to be that whatever it is and i think that's really exciting and i i don't i think it it's sort of a combination of if we not force the issue, but if we make the effort to make it visible, we we Mm. sort of make, we diversify, whether it is ethnicity, whether it's, you know, people with disabilities, whatever it might be, if we put them in a place where they can be seen and make it normal, then everybody is going to start doing that and reflecting in society. You know, what comes first, chicken or egg? It's that sort of thing. You know, does mm-hmm. um, theatre and the arts reflect life or is it the other way around? You know, and surely we can encourage it in both ways, I think.
0: It is encouraging. I mean, yeah. would Shuti i have got Doctor Who? Exactly. You know, if we go back 20 years, which it's I think is fantastic. fabulous. It's
1: fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about your name because you've mentioned that perhaps if you were i don't know sarah jane for example yeah. then perhaps that, that may have would that have helped 20 years well, ago? well i think it might have out? done
1: it might have done then 25 years ago but now i don't think it's an issue for people i i really don't i don't think so no but right at the beginning there was a thing where people were going, well we don't really want an indian person playing that role because then they've got family and then we're gonna to have to cast everyone Asian or whatever uh whereas my name is 100% Indian but I'm not I'm mixed and so I found that I thought should I reflect my ethnicity in my name or my should my name reflect my ethnicity should it be a mm. mixture but I think it's okay now and I'm glad
0: I stuck to the original did, did you ever consider it yeah did i did i had a
1: teacher at drama school who was like yeah you should change your name and someone else said no don't i did think about it
0: gosh it's quite conflicting
1: yeah yeah
0: let's talk about Obi Wan. <laughs> what was the first bit of dialogue to say that this might be an opportunity because i think even just the rumor of such a show is just going to cause huge interest straight away
1: yeah i mean my manager just said oh, would you be interested in reading for this. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, of course. And Because he'd said it in such a sort of, eh, you don't really want to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really know what it is, what the part is, et cetera. And, and then I was like, yeah, because I'm not a massive super fan of Star Wars. You know, I felt like it was, but it's been a backdrop to my entire childhood, you know. Mm. We played it in the playground as kids at school, even without knowing having seen it, but it always felt to me like a very male world because it was all guns and shooting and all that kind of thing and there were more men in it, et cetera, et cetera. But there was something about having these creatures that was quite exciting and droids, which are sort of these neutral seeming, they're not ethnically they could be from anywhere. They're sort of genderless in a way and Chewbacca or whatever, you know. I think that's that was kind of like okay, and then when they asked me if I'd be interested in reading for it, I thought I I knew that it was Deborah Chow who was directing, and she'd done a couple of The Mandalorian, and I thought, all right, I'm going to watch The Mandalorian, and I just thought this is utterly brilliant, and I sort of love that thing where you have stormtroopers just having a gossip, you know? <laughs> There's something so yeah. sort of pedestrian. But within this epic backdrop yeah. and backstory, I just, incredible I love incredible casts. And I thought that was really cool. And And I really loved Deborah. And then I we chatted and I just thought she was fantastic and was really up for having input. So it, I didn't feel like I was going to come along and just be, If you know, I think if it had been a case of just stand there and kind of be part of this thing, I would have felt a bit eh. But actually, there was so much dialogue and sharing of ideas and not to say that I had any (laughs) that much power. Being
0: part of a collaborative process. Totally collaborative.
1: And it was incredible. And and so it was really exciting. Really, really cool.
0: Have you got the date marked in the diary for when it lands? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm going to LA, so I'm
1: really excited. Going to go to the convention. Yeah.
0: Can we a, a very quick chat about Game of Thrones? One of my favourite series, and you came at a point where the height of its popularity was enormous. Yeah. Which must have brought a pressure in itself. I mean, some of those scenes, the, the scream, you know, when Pedro gets yes. whacked across the head, Aww. you know. Gouged um, out, I,
1: his eyes gouged out, not just whacked yeah.
0: across the head. I, Well, yeah, I, was, I guess <laughs> I've <I'm> been <laughs> polite in that sense. You had one take for that scene, didn't you? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, that was
1: nuts because they were losing the light. And of course, it took days to do the fight, which was the most important bit. The whole of the stunt and everything. What a scene. And then they were like, OK, we're losing the light. We've just got one take of this. And then that was it. So it was
0: a primal scream. (laughs) No, it was was harrowing. It was, it was impressive. House of the Dragon, is that something that you're going to be looking forward to later in the year? Is that? That's yes. Awesome.
1: Absolutely. I am I'm very curious to see what they do and who's in it and what the story will be and all that. But Amelia Clark and I will be on stage. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, that'll be really fun.
0: Which theatre are you gonna be at?
1: at? The Harold Pinter Theatre. Yeah.
0: That's quite poignant for you.
1: Yes, very. I loved Harold. He was like one of those people.
0: I mean he was a fabulous playwright and director, but you actually were on stage with him quite a bit as well.
1: Yeah. I did a Again, I mean, I'm I'm so, so sort of live under a bloody stone, but a um, rock, massive rock.
0: Makes two of us.
1: <laughs> but I didn't know really much about him. I didn't know that much about his work. And then I was asked to audition for him and I met him at the Almeida to do his sort of final full length, shortish play, but full length play celebration. And he was directing it. And he offered me the job there and then. And it was just extraordinary being in the room with the writer, who is this legendary writer. Mm. He's one of the best, I think, that we have in this country. and Nobel um,
0: Prize winner for literature. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, my God, he's just on another level. And then for him to be directing his own work, I mean, that can be a mixed blessing in a way sometimes because like i work with other writers on their own work and sometimes they can get be very very pernickety about no 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 you say this and Harold is very you know you have to say all the words that are on that page but you know if you talk about the pause with the famous Harold Pinter pause it's not he was very sort of oh you feel it if you feel it you feel it and if you don't you move on you know but I remember once having feeling quite frustrated uh, because I was my, this character I was playing in Celebration, she was a maitre d' in mm. a restaurant and sort of doing that kind of lightweight chat to the people there and then suddenly she talks about sex, that she's having sex with this guy and then starts crying. And I, I was just – I couldn't find this through line um, at all. It just felt – and I love that about his writing, actually, that there's just it, – it's, it's very odd. Um, there's Such often no almost. logic – yeah. yeah, but it, it sometimes I think it's about what the audience feels rather than you know you're not necessarily following an, a logical narrative, but yes. seeing those strange illogical things can trigger some emotion in you, you know. And I think that I love that kind of absurdity that he does, and it's He's very funny well. and so human, um, and often quite dangerous. And I was struggling with this jump, this leap, and uh, and he said. Listen, he sort of got up from his, very slowly ambled across the room. Listen, when you're truthful, nothing you do is wrong. And I just thought, wow, that's the most liberating thing that you could tell an actor. And it takes the pressure off. It's like, oh, wow, you're giving me free reign within the constraints of the text. But still, and I felt really empowered by him. And then, of course, to be asked to work with someone again and you know we we did moonlight on the radio which he was also in and then we we did one for the road which we acted in together is like I used to cry on the way home from not from school from work on the bus just with I cannot believe this is really happening
0: oh that's lovely yeah I was going to ask you about a plot twist person an unexpected source of inspiration I suppose.
1: Oh, he's definitely
0: he'd be one of those sort of key of
1: figures, really. Yeah, and also because he sort of believed in me.
0: Well, right from the start, right?
1: I guess so. But then he sort of he said, "I think I have found someone who can do my work," and that's like, wow, what compliment? I know
0: to uh, think of the career that he'd had up to that point.
1: I can't still can't quite believe it, and it's really desperately sad that I knew him later on in his life. And w- wasn't able to, you know,
0: See to continue
1: our yeah. relationship, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's the next project, then, is it? Amelia Clark at the Harold Pitt. Yeah. P- so
1: doing that, which I can't wait, I can't wait to do the Seagull again because we did it. We did it just before lockdown and we literally did four previews and then it was COVID. So here we we come Yeah, I
0: love Amelia. She's She's wonderful. She's
1: brilliant. And she's just got such light. She really is like a little light, I think. And she's funny and she's great to hang out with and be with. And she's brilliant. She's game. You know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are there any other projects? I mean, I have rumours. I don't know if it's true, but Mission Impossible. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Blink and You'll Miss Me. But it's great fun to to be part of that. That was really set. Yeah. Yeah, exactly and yeah. to sort of experience tom cruise firsthand <laughs> thank god wearing a mask so that we didn't all get blinded by his yeah extraordinary he made quite a charisma. point of that didn't he yeah, yeah he
0: did um what did you what did you think of the man
1: what a charmer i mean yeah and so much energy so much energy you know you'd get an electric shot every time he double fist bumped you <laughs> you know yeah no he was amazing And then I'm excited about because I've got a couple of things that I'm I've been doing. So extrapolations, which is like um sort of about climate change. And um Scott Z. Burns, who wrote Born Ultimatum and all that, and also produced An Inconvenient Truth. So something he's super passionate about. Mm. And all the technology. It's it's slightly set in the future, but not that Kit Harrington's in it, actually. Um, but it's all the technology that is used or that's talked about within this series is real, but it's sort of mind-bending. It's quite, you go, this can't be, this is like sci-fi weird. Mm. But it's not, it's real. And I got a, an email asking if I'd like to be part of it, and they said, oh, and also other cast members in it will be Meryl Streep, um, Marion Cotillard, uh, just Jane Edward Norton, I was like, ha ah, ah, ha ah. ha! I'm going to be like <laughs> scientist number 28 at the back. And then it's a really lovely part. The episode that I'm doing is sort of about when humans play God in terms of whether we change the atmosphere or whether we change our habits.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think it's a, a question that needs to be posed more often. Exactly.
1: So hopefully, this will be one of those series where people get genuinely excited by the cast and the the sort of the storytelling, the, the kind of the entertainment value of it, but also ask
0: questions that are super important. I mean, you say Meryl Streep and people just, you know, you just well, sort of sit up a little yeah, bit, I know. don't you? So, you? Yeah. Yeah. I want to see that on your Instagram. I want to see the selfie. Oh, under, I, I, I
1: didn't get to work with her, sadly. <laughs> oh, not at all. No. That's, well, if but hopefully, one know, day.
0: She, she sees you in LA in oh, a few weeks. God.
1: That would be a dream. Can you imagine? But I'd be too scared. I'd probably go mute.
0: What's the dream one-on-one scene? Because we had Martin Sheen, and he was talking about being one-on-one with Brando. Yeah. And just extraordinary to have that experience. But who? Well... From the past or... Well,
1: I mean, you know, it has to be Brando, really. But I was sort of thinking about this in a way of thinking, well, I love mime. (laughs) I love physical theatre. So, you know, would it be someone like Jacques Tati? Do you remember those silent movies, the French comic? But it's not going to be him. It would have to be Charlie Chaplin. And then I suddenly realised that Marlon Brando and Charlie Chaplin did a film together, didn't
0: they? That'd be pretty epic.
1: I'd like to have been in that and just witnessed those two completely opposing forces, really, in a way. Apparently they didn't get one at all. Oh, and just witness what that would be like. Somebody who's yeah. so controlled, like Charlie Chaplin, and then Marlon Brander, who's just so in the moment and alive and dangerous. And I, I just ca- think... Countess
0: from Hong Kong. Yes,
1: that's it. I, I, Yeah, I think that would be amazing. Because I think there are people... like I remember doing a play, Ivanov, and there was the guy, Peter White, played my dad. And... Um, the minute you're in a scene with him, it's like your shoulders drop and you stop acting, because he just makes you want to be. You don't have to do anything; yeah. you just have to. I reckon Brando would do that.
0: Yeah, he just make you better. better. Yeah. Well, Martin Sheen was saying he did things that completely threw him off, but then the next take, he was kind of even more ready. He was just wow, a, yeah, almost like a way of prepping him in a way, subconsciously yeah. maybe. But yeah, I think because that's the thing, isn't it? The, the word of the moment I was going to say is sort of manifesting. I mean, obviously, we can't necessarily no, really go No, no, no.
1: Well, no. Well, the but, technology's um, there now, isn't it? But, I wouldn't well, want that. Yeah. It wouldn't be fun to work with technology.
0: Yeah, it's a bit weird to think what could happen in 20, 30 years' time with that sort of technology. Because like, we've already seen it with sort of De Niro appearing as a younger version of himself. And,
1: but you lose the light. You lose yeah. the sort of...
0: The authenticity of it. Yeah,
1: and it? also the mistakes. I think it's all about the mistakes or the freedom, that freeness. That's why he was so brilliant, like throwing him off. It's you want to be thrown off, but in the right direction. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, gives a more natural yeah, reaction. Definitely. Well, I've, dear, I've loved chatting to you. Thank, Thank you so much, so much for, for coming me. on. Good luck with the series. No doubt, it's going to smash it. I hope um, so. And of course, uh, in the, in the, in the theatre, Harold Pinter Theatre. What's the play called? The Seagull. Check. Seagull. Mm. Might have to pop down. One of
1: the best ever plays.
0: Oh well, okay, I will definitely pop down. <laughs> 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 Thank you so Thank much. Thank
1: you, Tom. Cheers.
0: Oh, how lovely is Indira Rama. I really, really enjoyed that chat. That was something else. I'm really pleased that she mentioned Harold Pinter at the end. Like, when you're truthful, nothing you can do is wrong. That was really quite empowering. And she is, as we mentioned with all the roles that she's been in, a highly versatile actor. And uh, it's quite incredible that one email can change the course of her career and arguably her biggest role in Game of Thrones to date. We had it with Luke Evans. One letter was you know, about to give up, but one letter changed his trajectory. It's amazing how these things can happen. And even the aspiration to be a mime artist, that was something that I found really quite unusual. Maybe I should have known, but just how enchanted clearly she was pre-Rada, but then actually even now when talking about it, it's, it's quite something. I think it was also quite interesting to hear her take that, you know, when she does Karma Sutra and when she does start out in her career, there were these doubts about should I change my name about her identity and actually through persistence over time that those things have changed and she has been able to take on such a, a wide range of roles, you know, from Game of Thrones to Obi-Wan and even, you know, fist pumping with uh, Tom Cruise, the man of the moment. That's uh, pretty epic. And as you heard all those different roles, brilliant actor, but I just thought she was really charming, just really, really lovely. And if you want to see more of Indira, she will be at the Harold Pinter Theatre in the Seagull opposite Amelia Clark. That will be coming at the end of June, I believe. If you want to see her on now, obviously Game of Thrones for life. And of course, she is starring in Obi-Wan, which is on Disney Plus. So there's plenty of options for you out there to see her in action. It'll be great. So big, big thank you to Indira. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was great. And next week, we've got one of my comedy heroes. I can't believe it. Stephen Merchant, co-writer of The Office, a star of the Ricky Gervais podcast with Carl Pilkington and Ricky. And he'll be talking about his new series, The Outlaws. He writes it, he directs it, he stars in it. He's opposite Christopher Walken. Oh my goodness, he's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. So until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week i